anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. Rocking a cherry blossom tie today with respect to the Washington Nationals, who I think did a very good job in rebranding of their uniform. This is another edition of the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLE.com by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs are underway. Playing games just started. You got the, the Brooklyn Nets. You got the Minnesota Timberwolves solidifying the seventh seed and you're going to figure out who ends up going in there in the eighth seed. The play-in tournament, you ask me my opinion. Listen, I'm never, I'm never a fan of giving more teams postseason opportunities, and and maybe it's the traditionalist in me, maybe it's the old school fan in me. When you think, I think about baseball and having 16 teams and one in each league would be postseason bound to play in the World Series. I don't think you necessarily have to go back to that, but it seems like you know every five years, every 10 years, more playoff teams are added throughout sports. You see it in baseball now. You saw it in football last year. Obviously, basketball the last couple of years in regards to the play-in tournament. Yes, the play-in tournament adds a little more intrigue. You get to see the Cavaliers and the Nets Two good teams, two teams that are certainly playoff bound. You obviously know the issues going on with the Nets and probably why they should be better than they are. And the Cavs, a great story of a team that from a collective group of young players has kind of come together all at once. But it's it's funny. As we think about basketball right now, one of the more prominent stories out there is what happened to the Los Angeles Lakers this past season. And I find myself, as a talk show host, doing a past ball show a couple times a week, and a lot of the same teams keep coming up. And it's not that I'm a Los Angeles Lakers fan. I'm not. You know, you'll hear me very often talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And a lot of reasons that these teams come up is because they really are that much more polarizing than everything you see throughout the sport. And at a time now in basketball where we really should be spending a lot of time evaluating the teams in the playoffs, talking about how Phoenix and how Milwaukee really do have a good chance to go out there and replay the NBA Finals like they did last year. Turned out to be a good series. Two great teams have backed um, their play from last year with another solid season. Yet, you can hear a lot of talk about the Lakers. And the question is, why is it that much more important? Or, from a newsworthy standpoint, why is it relevant to bring up the state of the Los Angeles Lakers. Because there's a lot of teams that failed in the NBA this past year. The New York Knicks didn't make the playoffs. You don't really hear outside of the city of New York any discussion nationally on what happened in the Knicks this past year. And I think the lazy answer, if you wanted to say, hey, why is it so important 
or why, from a national sports news perspective, why do the Lakers keep coming up? The lazy answer would be because the Lakers have more fans. I think it's a little bit deeper than that. You look at the aspect of, yeah, maybe not the amount of championships the Lakers won. Maybe not the fact that you know the most polarizing player in the sport happens to play for them because you know we find ourselves in these similar type of conversations. We had them before LeBron came here. It was you know the near decade of failure that the Los Angeles Lakers had, and the question year in and year out was why. And like I said, I'm not centric to the Lakers. I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm not a Lakers hater, but. There always seems to be interest in a take on the Lakers on a given season. And I think the same holds true to the New York Yankees. You don't have to be a New York Yankee fan to be kind of looking at the corner of your left eye to see how the Yankees are doing on a given season. Now, listen, they're in the playoffs every year. They last won a World Series championship in 2009, which, by the way, if they win this year, the entire thing, That'll be a 13-year gap since the last time they won a World Series. And since the World Series started in 1903, the Yankees started as an official franchise in the year of 1903. The Baltimore Orioles existed in the American League in 1901 and 1902. And they were contracted with a new team added to New York, which started in 1903. So the first 20 years, it took the Yankees 20 years to win a World Series championship. They won it in 1923. After that, won it in 27, 28, 32, 36, 37, 38, 39, 41, 43, 47, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 56, 58, 61, and 62. And the reason that I bring that up is because from 1962 all the way until 1977, it was a 15-year gap, the second largest gap to that point of the Yankees winning a World Series championship. But of course, they won in 77 and 78, didn't win again until 18 years later, until 1996. So as they sit here in the teens with 13 years between World Series championships, and like I said, that's assuming they win this year, which certainly is no foregone conclusion. I don't look at the Yankees as the favorites to win the entire thing, but who knows? You know, they could go out there and win their, you know, 90-plus games, get into the playoffs, and once any team is in the playoffs, anything could possibly happen. But, you know, why are the Yankees more polarizing? Let's say if you're out on the West Coast, if you're up in the Midwest or the North or down in Florida somewhere, regardless of where the Yankees place in the standings, there's going to be New York Yankee talk. And I think the same is prominent in the National Football League with teams like the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And once again, the thesis of what I'm getting into right now is why. Like I said, you could be a a Philadelphia fan, a Boston fan. You could be a Chicago fan, a Detroit fan. And it's no disrespect to any of those markets. And I don't even think it's a market thing. But there's teams in the world of sports that regardless of what team you happen to be a fan of, you're always checking the pulse of a given season. And that's the Lakers, that's the Yankees. And like I said, the Cowboys and the Steelers, I think I think a lot of their fans come from the 70s. You see 49er fans that became prominent in the 1990s. Patriot fans really in this, this century. 
have become one of the more popular fan bases and aren't necessarily um, contingent on just what the fans are in the New England area. And, and obviously winning breeds that. There's a lot of Boston Celtic fans, but believe it or not, and, and, and this is not a knock on a Boston fan. There's a lot of Boston Celtic fans throughout the country, but the opinion of the Boston Celtics on a year-in and year-out basis from a national perspective is not up there with that of the Lakers. It isn't. I mean, it's just the honest truth. As you're looking at it and you're like, well, I kind of want to wonder why. I don't really know the difference. I mean, you're looking at two teams that won the same amount of championships in the NBA and nobody has won more. So the Boston Celtics sitting here with the number, what, the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, solid season, one of the best players in the NBA, and I think a player that has taken a, a step in that direction to be a top NBA player, a top 10 player, maybe outside of the top five somewhere in Jason Tatum. The Celtics' opportunity is they're in the playoffs right now to win an NBA championship. They won more games than the Milwaukee Bucks. The only team in the Eastern Conference that won more is the Miami Heat. And listen, I think there's going to be a battle. It's going to be a very good um, round of playoffs or a couple rounds of playoffs to see who ends up coming out of the Eastern Conference. But why, from a national perspective, is there just as much talk, if not more, about the Los Angeles Lakers than the Boston Celtics? You think about it, you know, LeBron James isn't, you know, going to the playoffs this year. Frank Vogel as a coach is out. Russell Westbrook, you know, speaks up. And really, he's the last guy I want to hear from, by the way. I mean, he couldn't have had a more awful season. He couldn't have had a more negative impact on the Los Angeles Lakers this season. And if you think it's just the coach, well, you know, the Lakers are likely to run the same team back, at least through their big three, with LeBron, with Anthony Davis, with Russell Westbrook. And unless they find a team intrigued enough to take on Anthony Davis, which... Listen, I think there's some teams that say, hey, we have a star. We pair him with Anthony Davis, a healthy Anthony Davis. Maybe we could be a championship bound or in that league to win year in and year out. And if the Lakers are going to shake anything up, Anthony Davis might be the way to go. The easy thing to say is, hey, get rid of Russell Westbrook. Well, I don't know how the hell you're doing that. I don't know how you're uh, finding a team that's going to take him on for $47 million and, by the way, match up contracts in some way, shape, or form to send something back to the Lakers, which probably isn't going to be on the level of Russell Westbrook, the future Hall of Famer. Russell Westbrook, the career triple-double guy, the all-time triple-double leader. So it's going to be interesting to see. And right, what I see, hey, maybe they go out there, they get themselves a... You know, whatever type of coach they want. I don't think Doc Rivers is leaving Philadelphia. Um, you can talk about Quinn Snyder, who I don't know if he really wants to leave Utah. I mean, he's got a chance to be the next Jerry Sloan over there. He's considered one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's done a lot with some talent. I mean, you can't say that team isn't talented, but you know, at some point, maybe he wants the, the bigger spotlight. I don't know. But the next Lakers coach is going to inherit the same issue. Hey, what are you getting out of Russell Westbrook at this stage and age of his career? Because it's not the same player that's averaging a triple-double. And personally, I think he's he looks at the triple-double as a way to just say, hey, I did my job. And it hasn't necessarily added up to victories, certainly in the playoffs. 
Russell Westbrook has never won a championship. And is it completely his fault? No. He's part of a team. LeBron's won a championship before. He's won four. AD's won a championship, albeit in a truncated 2020 bubble setting in a, in a weird season. But he still won a championship. And Russell Westbrook's got a chance, he's had a chance to play with some great players over the course of his career. And they, they've never won together. So this next coach that comes in with the Lakers is going to inherit the same type of problem with a roster that very likely isn't going to change. And once again, why is this information just as prevalent or just as important as anything that we could break down when we're talking about the NBA and the playoffs right now? Because I think the playoffs are exciting. I think you're looking at a series of teams in each conference. The Eastern Conference, I think you could talk about anywhere up to about four or five different teams that can make it to the NBA Finals. I, l- I like Philadelphia, certainly with James Harden there. If he meshes well with the core group there, led by Joel Embiid and uh, Tyron Maxey, Tyrese Maxey, I think it's a, a great team that I'd like to say could go to the NBA Finals, but they got to go up against the Bucks. they got to go up against the Celtics. The, nobody's given the Miami Heat any credit, and all they did is you know, lead the conference just about the whole season. There's a lot of people that have belief in the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And if you look at the way the two of them performed uh, in, in the win against the Cleveland Cavaliers, you say, hey, that, that, that could gel together pretty well in the playoffs, playing game in and game out. And obviously out on, out on the West, you know, is it Denver season with Nikola Jokic? Is it, you know, Dallas with Doncic and, you know, his injury, is he going to be able to play? Obviously, him being at full strength uh, is a huge difference for the Mavericks. I don't think there's one player in the NBA that is more their entire team than Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. So, I mean, all of that's relevant, all of that stuff we're supposed to be talking about. But instead, the national media is going to get into the state of the Los Angeles Lakers. And you're going to hear on shows, debate shows going back and forth, what happened with the Lakers? What are the Lakers going to do this year? Who's the best fit to be the head coach? I, I don't really know. Who's to blame for the failure of this past season? And my biggest concern, if I'm if I'm wondering what's going to happen with the Los Angeles Lakers, it's how do you run the same team back and expect different results? You know, you're you're going to tell me that Anthony Davis being healthy all season, LeBron being healthy all season, both of those players are going to be a year older. Russell Westbrook, do you still, to this point, have any idea what type of fit he has on that team? Are you going to let Russell just do what Russell does? Well, I don't know if it necessarily fits with a team with LeBron James doing the things that he does. LeBron brings the ball up. LeBron is going to be the focal point of the offense. I don't know if Russell Westbrook is helping the Lakers or he is in the way. And like I said, $47 million he's going to make next season. No other team's going to pay that. It's very hard to trade. There was the talk about dealing him for John Wall because their salaries would match. I don't know if the Houston Rockets would want to do it. And certainly Russell Westbrook doesn't want to get paid for not playing. He would make a bigger stink in Houston sitting on the bench than John Wall, who apparently doesn't have any problem not playing, which he didn't play this past season. 
So thinking about the start, obviously, how excited are you if you're a baseball fan about opening day? I, I was thinking about this before. I mean, you, you really went from a month ago, a little over a month ago, thinking how long baseball was not going to exist this year, how many games were going to be played. And, and I kept thinking this narrative that the owners had that they were happy because of the 2020 season and they only had to pay their players for uh, 37% of their salaries because they played 60 games as opposed to 162 and took it as an idea to say, well, if we lock out the players, if we force less games, if we play 100 games, if we play 60 games again, that's going to curtail the salaries of the players in Major League Baseball. And I'm so glad I was wrong about that because that's where I was feeling. That's where I was believing. And listen, I'm not going to be right all the time. I can accept the fact that I, I was wrong about something that I kind of wanted to be wrong about. Baseball is it's starting right now. Like I said, a month ago, a little over a month ago, we're wondering what's going to happen. How many games are they going to play? Hey, opening day is there. You know, you, you're thinking of some of the, the minor stories that are existing in baseball. I don't think anything has really come out per se. I mean, I like what we're seeing in Cleveland, which, by the way, you're, you're looking at a team that, I, you know, you heard the general manager talking about reasons that they didn't go nuts to bring in a different, uh, you know, another offensive player. They have a lot of young players that they wanted to give a chance to play at the major league level, and I think it makes sense. You know, Stephen Kwan, who kind of came in as a, a player that, very few people knew anything about. Fifth round draft pick, 2018 draft out of Oregon State. It's 24 years old, made his major league debut this year on April 7th, and he's done nothing but rake. He hit 469 in spring training. He is 9 for 13 at this very moment. And obviously numbers that aren't going to hold up over the course of time. But you know, you're looking at a player that Hit 300 last year in the minor leagues. Certainly looks like he's got the ability to play Major League Baseball every day. And we, we tend to discount a team like the Cleveland Indians. And there's a lot of reasons that we do. Like I said, they don't have that star power. Francisco Lindor was traded. Um, you know, But all of a sudden, they're like, we're happy with the young core and group of young players that we have. And what I love about what the Indians have done over the last week or so is they have extended key players that they feel are part of their future. Jose Ramirez, all you heard this offseason is where the Indians were going to trade Jose Ramirez to. And the reason they were going to trade him is because they didn't want to pay their players long term and they were going to maybe try to cash in, get some younger players, a la the Oakland Athletics, a la the Tampa Bay Rays like the Pirates have done. And I don't even give the Orioles credit because I don't think they've developed enough talent to be able to trade any good players. That neither here nor there. But the Indians not only signed Jose Ramirez to an extension, but they signed Miles Straw. They signed Emmanuel Clase. And I think they have set themselves up to where they have a good young core that they're going to build upon over the course of the next couple seasons. And once again, we look at the American League Central, and as much as I feel the Detroit Tigers are on the rise, 
as much as I bought into their stock and I take them as a playoff team as one of the six in the American League this year. And you could say, John, maybe you just took the bait again. Maybe it's fool's gold. You know, are you believing in A.J. Hinch and Javier Baez and uh, Eduardo Rodriguez and Tucker Barnhart? I'm also believing in younger players there, and I do respect the leadership of A.J. Hinch because I saw what he did last year in a team that has nowhere near the amount of talent that they have right now. So I step off the Tigers for a second because I'm speaking about the Indians. The Indians might not necessarily be a playoff team this year, but a team that I didn't have a ton of belief in, that I was a little bit down on as the season started. And where did I have them when I did my standings? At 74 and 88, which was fourth place in the AL Central. The first That's the first one of my picks that I'm kind of backing off. Now, you asked me about the Minnesota Twins, who I've said I think they could finish over 500. I think they could be in a wild card run. I think their season can really be legitimate up until the last week or so. Could the Indians bridge that gap, at least from what I said? I got the Twins at 82 and 80. I got the Indians at 74 and 88. That's a eight-game gap. I think the Indians can work a lot together. I think they could do a lot more than perhaps I expected. Now we talk about still having Shane Bieber, having guys like Aaron Savali and Zach Plesak and you know they got Cal Quantrill who I think over the course of a full season it'll be interesting to see how much he grows. Tristan McKenzie who's starting the season in a bullpen is probably going to be a long term starter for them. Clace as the closer. I think this is a team from a pitching standpoint, while other teams in the AL Central are going to get blown out because they don't have the pitching depth, I think that's going to help the Cleveland team keep themselves where they need to go. And obviously, up until this point, I'm still having a hard time calling the Cleveland team the Guardians, and it's going to be a growth process. Over time, I'm going to get better at it. It's not the Indians. And listen... To say Indians is not the intent to slur the entire group of people. It's something that we've gotten used to over the course of many years. And think about the transformation when it came from the Washington Redskins to the Washington football team to now the Washington Commanders. Because I think those are that's an interesting topic to get into. Because you could hear me talking about passionately what I think of the Indians and breaking them down left and right and probably giving you a, a legitimate breakdown of what you could expect from this team this year. And I keep throwing Indians in there. And you may say, oh, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the team name. No, he does. But he's having a hard time getting used to it. Listen, I could, I'll say Cleveland Guardians 20 times a day. And you know what? The name over time is going to start to roll out a little bit easier. I think of... Cleveland baseball, I think of the Indians from Major League. Now, listen, I don't, I don't think Guardians is that far off. I like the fact that they've maintained the IANS. And for a team that was changing its name, I, I really do think it's the best possible decision to change their name to the Guardians. Now, I'm getting better at it. 
We're going to do a bunch more PBSs. We're going to do uh, a ton of baseball shows over the course of the summer and the baseball season. I promise you're going to see a development in me calling the Cleveland team, the Guardians, better. Understanding that if I say Indians, it's more of a Freudian slip. It's, I don't think it's ignorance. I certainly don't think it's offensive. But it's just something that's just taking a little time to roll off. Um, Ahmed Rosario for the Indians, I think, is going to, from, as, from an offensive standpoint, You've been waiting for him to come into his own. I think he's got some power. He's got a little bit of speed. But, you know, for somebody that's not going to get on base in regards to walks that much, he's got the ability to hit. He's going to swing from his from his knees. And I think he's got the ability to hit. If he can hit 300 at the major league level, you're going to see the power come around. And he's going to really become a well-rounded baseball player. The question is going to be, where is he best suited to play? He had some problems in the outfield. And remember when he came up with the Mets, he was playing primarily shortstop. The Mets, when they made the trade with the Indians to get Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, they got Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, two shortstops, as the major parts of the trade. Now, Jimenez is only 23 years old. Jimenez is more of a primary shortstop than Rosario is. And I think the Indians, I mean the Guardians as they exist right now, probably want to see Jimenez play shortstop every day. Now, is there a connection between Ahmed Rosario struggling in the outfield and having that impact his ability to hit? I think that's something that should be brought up too. You know, is he more comfortable playing the infield? Maybe Rosario settles in as a second baseman. Maybe Jimenez is better off as a second baseman. And you could deal with the lackluster defense that you're going to get from Ahmed Rosario playing shortstop for the Cleveland Guardians. You got Jose Ramirez at third. You got Andres Jimenez at second. Two players that are much more fundamentally sound and better defensive ball players. So I think that's going to be something that has to be thought about over time. What does the Cleveland team want to do? Miles Straw, one of the players that they extended, they got last year in a trade with the Astros for Phil Maton, the reliever. He's extended. He's going to be a Cleveland Guardian for a long time. He's playing center field. Stephen Kwan, obviously we talk about the start that he's been off to, is going to be playing left field every day. Framel Reyes is going to be DHing. They like Oscar Mercado. Uh, it's going to be very hard to put Ahmed Rosario back in the outfield. Now, First base could open up. You know, they got Owen Miller, who's 6 for 11, hitting 545. I don't know if that's going to hold up over the course of time, but here's a player that hit 200 last year with Cleveland last year and is playing first base every day. Also played some second and some short. You may see a similar situation with Ahmed Rosario. Maybe he's better off playing first base. But in all honesty, I'm looking throughout Major League Baseball and trying to see if there's any major storylines. Obviously, health is going to be an issue. Each team is going to deal with their share of injuries. And I think, really, we spend the month of April and into May maybe talking about the Stephen Kwans of the world and the players that get off to these great starts. You know, Tyler McGill with the Mets, two really good starts after a solid rookie season last year. 
not expected to be part of the original five when the Mets were running out the rotation. Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker. I mean, those are all more formidable and proven Major League commodities. If they're all healthy, they're going out there making the starts for the Mets, and Tyler McGill is likely pitching in AAA for the Syracuse Mets, or he's pitching in the bullpen. So he gets an opportunity. He's throwing in the high 90s, which he wasn't doing last year, and really looks like a solid pitcher. He's one of the stories. Stephen Kwan is one of the stories. But outside of that, a lot of talk is going to be about the injuries and what type of injuries are going to hold back the, the big-time teams in Major League Baseball, the teams that you we all expected to be in the playoffs as you look at you know my predictions. And listen, they're, they're not that crazy this year. My craziest prediction are having teams like the Padres and the Phillies and the Mets and the Tigers and the Blue Jays and the Angels in the playoffs. I mean, I don't think that's much of a reach. May not be what you know 90% of people that do Major League Baseball picks do, but I don't think I went as crazy this year as I've done in other, in other times. And I don't really see anything that's happened that's changed it to this point. The one team that I think might be a little better than I saw on paper is the Cleveland Guardians. Hey, we'll be back with you probably Saturday. Another edition of the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A reminder, anything that's on your mind, you could send an email as we got another week. I gave up social media for Lent, no Facebook, no Twitter. So you could email me at JRPielli at gmail.com and you know, F it. You text me, 732-513-5927. Anything that's on your mind in the world of sports. So we'll be back with you Saturday for another edition of the Past Ball Show. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris